This is the Fed and Fit Podcast, starting your week off with motivational thoughts on real food and fun fitness activities from Cassie Joy Garcia and co-host Carissa Talbot. Cassie is a nutritional consultant and the paleo food blogger behind fedandfit.com. Cassie has also authored two recipe ebooks, Cassie Joy's Fed and Fit Game Day Feast and Cassie Joy's Fed and Fit Holiday Feast. Each week, she will be joined by co-host Carissa Talbot. Carissa is the lady behind the widely popular Instagram and hashtag NoCookPaleo. Carissa is also the Chief Operating Officer for The Paleo Mom. If you enjoy the podcast, you can show your support by supporting another great small business. Place an order with the Granilla Bar and use the code FEDPLUSFIT at checkout so they'll know who sent you. That's the Granilla, spelled G-R-A-N-I-L-L-A, bar.com. Remember our disclaimer, the information and opinions shared in this podcast are solely those of any given individual and not a substitute for medical advice. And here are the ladies. Hi there, everybody. Welcome back to the Fed and Fit podcast. Today is another special episode. We have a guest on, and it's just just me today. Carissa has uh, stepped aside to make room for our special guest. Today we're talking to Diana Rogers, who if you've been at all in the world of social media and seeing what all the buzz is about, she just wrote a beautiful new cookbook, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, there's a whole lot more to this cookbook than just that. But uh, today we're going to talk to Diana Rogers. She's an NTP, nutrition therapy practitioner, and soon to be registered dietitian. She's a talented and really motivating force behind the blog and YouTube channel Sustainable Dish. She lives on her farm in Massachusetts and is the author of two books, Paleo Lunches and Breakfasts on the Go, and her second book, the one that we're really here to talk about today, The Homegrown Paleo Cookbook, which will be released on March 10th. You can also find Diana on her podcast, The Modern Farm Girl, which she co-hosts with the very lovely Liz Wolf. And uh, note that I'll include links to all of those things that I just talked about in my show notes so you can find those easy in one spot. Um, And then just taking a quick page from the introduction in Diana's most recent book, she is, quote, I like this, so that's why I'm quoting it. (laughs) She's on a mission to inspire others to choose sustainably grown, nutrient-dense foods and to slow down from the hectic pace of our technology-driven, overly scheduled lives and get back to a more sustainable existence. So I think that's really exciting. I think that all of our listeners here are excited to hear from you, Diana. Thank you so much for coming on today. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, girl, I am just honored. And oh my goodness, I got your book in the mail and just started flipping through it. And aside from it, the first thing you notice, to be honest, is the stunning photography, which was all shot on film, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yeah, we had a, um, my photography's name is Heidi Murphy, and um, I know her through a friend of mine. She lives about an hour away, and she came down, and we must have done over 30 photo shoots for the book because we wanted everything shot in season. So all the vegetable portraits that we have are actual vegetables from my farm when they were at the peak of their freshness. So she came about every other week all through an entire growing season. And then 
uh, with a broken leg when we went on our camping trip and then in a boat when oh, we went on <laughs> we went on a um a clam bake on an island with no electricity and um and she, you know you have to take a boat to get there and she brought all <laughs> our stuff and you know got on the boat and came so she was a huge trooper and her stuff's amazing so that's i was really incredible. happy to have her yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, it's just it tell they t- really do tell a story. If you are listening and you are just a, a photography buff and you appreciate amazing photos and a story that's told through the seasons um, in this fashion, you're going to love it for that reason alone. Not to mention the incredible meat of uh, what Diana's put in this book, but. Props, that's incredible. Um, You know, I really wanted to bring you on the podcast today because I think, you know, for so many of us feeling like we're seemingly lost in this swirl of the information age, um, getting back to that sustainable existence like you talked about in your book, which I think the way I hear that is it's a balanced, healthy life with real roots. Mm-hmm. Um, it can seem kind of like a far off reality, but really what you've done in, in my humble opinion, I am HO, <laughs> someone just recently had to tell me what that meant. Um, <laughs> in my humble opinion, I really think that what you've done is you've helped to bridge the gap. You've articulated how you can get there no matter really where you are in life. Um, so I, I'm really happy to talk with you today after my own long winded road, uh, journey to health. I finally landed, you know, on paleo about five years ago as my best fit. And now I'm personally at that point in my life uh, with my little family, my fiance, Austin, um, where we can start making strides for setting up that even healthier, more rounded life, a a life that's rooted really in health. Um, And we live in the suburbs of San Antonio, about on a third of an acre with our 100-pound two-year-old Great Pyrenees, Gus. Uh And uh, we're in the process of actually designing our blank slate of a backyard. And Austin is building me my first three raised beds for my birthday. Oh, my gosh. I am so excited. I've never been more excited about, I think, anything, um, especially home improvement wise. So I'm just beaming. And your book couldn't have come at a better time. I like dove into that chapter first on gardening. And then I flipped over to the chapter on goats. because <laughs> That's another dream of mine. But um, anyways, that's just kind of my background. But I would love to hear more about you. Tell me a little bit more about your journey and uh, what led you to writing this book. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'll give you, I'll try to condense it. I, let's see, I had undiagnosed celiac disease, um, until I was 26. So I was really sick as a kid and nobody knew what was going on and why I was so thin and getting sick all the time. Uh, and it wasn't until I had a new health insurance company and a new, um, young doctor right out of med school that was up on the latest stuff and she tested me and I could not believe that someone could be allergic to wheat. It yeah. blew me away. I just, it was just not on my radar. This was um, just about 15 years ago too. So, you know, things have really changed a lot in the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, two weeks on a gluten-free diet really changed my life. Um, I just couldn't believe that you wouldn't you know, you could not be doubled over in pain every day. And it had become such a regular thing to me that I, you know, I didn't even know otherwise. Yeah. Um, 
And so, but I quickly ran to all the gluten-free substitutes for everything. And so I would just have, you know, gluten-free waffles, gluten-free toast for bre- uh, breakfast. I was eating a low-fat diet. Um, thought I was doing everything right. Lots of deep-fried tofu because, you mm-hmm. know, animal's bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I started wanting to learn more and more about um, nutrition just to really find out why I needed to have a snack every two hours and why I was so, you know, my blood sugar, I just always felt like I was on this blood sugar roller coaster. And so I entered the Nutritional Therapy Association program. Mm -hmm. And, um, and right towards the end is when I read The Paleo Solution by Rob Wolf. And that's when it all clicked. And I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. I can't believe it. Yeah. I was really, really scared to try it because I, I knew that I was really, really addicted to carbs. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that all carbs are bad. And, and my philosophy in the book is definitely like I'm not like a super low carber all the time. Right. Um, but I was really addicted to a very high carb diet. And it just I didn't know how I was going to do. But anyway, I, I tried it and lo and behold, it worked. Um, I, you know, felt pretty tired for the first couple of weeks and then I just woke up and never felt better. So that was, um, for me too, about five years ago or so. It was about 2010 when I did that, when Mm -hmm. I graduated and and did that. So I opened a nutrition, um, practice. Um, and all the time I've been, um, living on a working farm all along. So, so this has been, um, I'm married to a full-time farmer. Um, so I've been kind of in and out of the fields. I've, I've worked on farms. Um, even before I met him, I, my summer job was working on a vegetable farm. Um, anyhow, so it's, it's all come together now. Um, I, you know, had my first book. I just came out with this one, which I'm so excited about because I really feel like, you can't really truly be at that next level of paleo, that kind of paleo 2.0 without understanding sustainable food production. And that's just where it's all going. And we really have to answer that question because it's undeniable now, the nutrition aspect, right? Like, like Mm -hmm. it's just, you can't even in, um, so I, I was chatting with you right before the show and we were talking about, so I'm, I'm almost an RD registered dietitian, um, which has been a very interesting, you know, especially with someone, you know, from the paleo world going through these classes, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot to swallow, um, because it's so conventional. This information is so conventional. Yeah. Um, and you know, and even when like time magazine comes out and says that butter's actually okay, it's still not, you know, the, the, the classes in the textbooks haven't gotten there yet. They and don't so, catch up for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyhow, where was I going with that, with the RD stuff? So, um, Paleo 2.0. Oh, Paleo 2.0, right? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I wrote it down. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so I mean, I definitely like in my nutrition practice, I start people off, like just eat protein, vegetable. I tell them what to eat. But pretty soon after that, they're like, where can I get some grass-fed meat? Where can I get some pasture-raised eggs? Yeah. And, you know, so – so, but understanding the source is is good, like knowing where to go. But then I really think that, you know, even if you're not going to grow the food yourself, so you've got a third of an acre there, you might have a raised vegetable garden, so you're, you're probably not going to have a cow. Right. 
you know, in your backyard or, or, you know, maybe not some sheep either, but isn't it cool to read about it? I mean, isn't it cool to understand, you know, the right way so that when you go visit a farm and you see these, you know, how the farmer raises their chickens, you'll know the right questions to ask and you'll know, you know, that, you know, are these chickens grass fed is probably not the right question to ask because yeah. chickens don't eat grass um, <laughs> as their primary uh, diet anyway. I mean, they'll, they'll nibble on it, but they certainly much prefer bugs and seeds and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of, um, I w- really wanted to write a book that blends all of that together. So not only um, the cooking, but also the raising animals, growing vegetables, and then some of the lifestyle pieces that I also think are so um, important to the paleo movement that not everyone's put together all in one book. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you did that. I think what, what you, what people walk away with, um, probably two things is a vision for their own homestead one day, (laughs) right? If If they don't already have one. And then also really feeling like I'm just a more informed, discerning customer and shopper. Um, and just more confident in how to go to the farmer's market, like you said, or go to the grocery store and, and really know what to look for and what questions to ask. I right. think that's great. That's wonderful. I'd love to really know, um, because you know, not, not all of us, I venture to say very few of us actually, um, are at that stage now where we can, like you said, you know, get a cow. I'm, I feel very lucky now that I'm going to have a small vegetable garden, Um, but what are some of those tips, maybe five tips that you have that you could tell somebody, even the most urbanite, you know, ways Mm -hmm. that they can be more homegrown paleo? So I think the the very basic one would be to just buy U.S. grown produce Mm -hmm. and just to be aware, you know, they have to label the country of origin on all the produce, um, and meat products too. So, so just to look around you know, wherever you go to the grocery store and just be like, huh, peppers from Israel. I don't know. Maybe, (laughs) (laughs) maybe I won't do that. So, so that could be the first one. And then, you know, so I think there's all these different levels, right? Um, So there's that. And then there's like being a farmer, right? And in between is Mm -hmm. everything, right? So the next one could be maybe, you know, during the peak of the growing season, you could go to the farmer's market and for one week, eat only what you can get from the farmer's market, which I is pretty easy. That. Yeah, it's pretty easy on paleo, right? Because mm-hmm. it's just like vegetables and meat. So you should be able to do that. Um, I do have a great section here on 10 questions to ask your farmer. Ooh. So, you know, so that's kind of like I've got these little cheat cheat sheets in here. So if you don't want to dive 100% into whatever the beekeeping section is, I have like Which is also fascinating and it's yeah, right. totally fascinating. <laughs> um, uh-huh. But I have you know just you know common common questions about chickens like do I need a rooster to get eggs or you know just mm-hmm. silly questions that are legitimate too because they're things that people ask me all the time. Yeah. Um, so some other tips would be you know if you have an apartment maybe you can do some container gardening. Um, you know, if you're a little more adventurous, beekeeping is actually something that is pretty accessible to somebody who is in a pretty urban environment. Uh-huh. So there's roof t- rooftop beekeeping. Um, there's a lot of companies that have started keeping and hotels that have started keeping bees on their roofs. And so they need people to manage that. Um, and then I have a brother who lives in downtown Philadelphia and he keeps bees on a farmer's um, 
piece of land just a little outside of the city and he just goes once a week or not even once a week to go check on the bees. So there's, yeah, there's definitely. And then also with, um, I don't know if you know, Steph from stupid, easy paleo. Yeah, I do. Um, Yeah. So she, um, I'm coaching her on beekeeping. So she's going to be, she just got her hives. Um, we did, I did one guest post on there and then she's, um, she's so excited. So she's going to, she just bought her bees and they're coming soon. Um, you have to, you have to order them ahead of time. Um, so she's getting all set up with that. Yeah, man, that needs to be my next step. I think, uh, garden for sure. And then bees before goats. <laughs> because, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if a lot of the listeners know this. And I, I don't know that I've told you, Diana, but I was actually my um, major when I graduated with my undergraduate degree was in entomology. Oh. And uh, that's my first love, all insects. Um, Very cool. <laughs> I, was, I was the pre-med entomologist. Um, wow. But, uh, but yeah, I, you learn a great deal about... Um, really what of an what an impact bees have on our agriculture and uh and we really just need to support them right now so I think that's awesome everybody should start a beehive <laughs> yeah it's so it's it's a really inexpensive relative to the other things I mean I can't yeah. say that it's you know I mean you know compared to what the the return is if you're just gonna you know value it on the honey you get it's probably not super inexpensive, you know, just like sure. chickens with their eggs, but there's just so much more to it. And, um, and then there's also the community gardens. So there's, yep. you know, in so many cities now there's community garden plots and those are really fantastic because not only is it a place for you to have a garden, but it's community building. So that's what I love about them so much. And so we, um, we did a shoot, um, at my friend's community garden plot, uh, right next to Harvard university in Cambridge. Mm -hmm. And they've got just so many different people from all walks of life. And they actually have one, there was this, um, man from, you know, straight off the boat from India who has his community garden plot. And he was saying how he loves it so much because it's something to do. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's like he has his job and then he was feeling so lonely and he didn't have anything else to do. And so now he's got his little garden and that's his, that's what he does with this time off. And so that's great. It's really, yeah, it was just so sweet. There's something really therapeutic about getting your hands in some soil. Yeah, totally. I mean, so, and then there's, and then there's just volunteering on a farm too. So we have, mm-hmm people that do a work for share here on our farm. So, you know, we trade them um, a share of the vegetables in exchange for their labor. Um, you know, there's all these people doing all these workouts at CrossFit and everything when you can get a pretty good workout just from, you know, weeding and helping to post, uh, to dig fence posts. And Oh, that is a know, workout for sure. Farmer's carry is an actual legitimate um, activity <laughs> that people really do. Um, so it's uh, all that kind of stuff is really great for for urban folks. So there's definitely, I don't want people to think that this book is only for, you know, people that are suburban or, or have a 20 acre ranch. This is definitely for everybody. Totally. I'm going to recap them real quick in case people are, um, want to hear them rapid fire, but first us by or five ways to stay more homegrown paleo, no matter where you are is to number one, buy more us grown produce, only us grown produce. B are two during peak of the growing season. May a fun challenge is to go to the farmers market and for one week only eat those foods. 
Um, check out her 10 questions to ask your farmer so you can really start to narrow down which, um, which products you really want to be buying and bringing home to your family. Um, maybe look into beekeeping no matter where you are. It's a gener- like a real possibility. And then look into community garden plots or look to volunteer on a farm. Did I get them? That's it. And then containers would be the only other thing, oh, yeah. you know, that's, um, it, it's, it's a little hard if you don't get a lot of sun, um, and you don't have like an outdoor space, but there's just, there's no excuse. I think everyone can find something, um, to do even if they live in an apartment. Absolutely. You know, and when I was in an apartment, I did my best to keep as many herbs alive as possible. And, uh, I, you know, in, in San Antonio, Texas, rosemary and basil do really well here. And, um, you know, even, even in those, in those stages, the pesto that I would make with the basil that I grew just for whatever reason tasted better, you know, (laughs) you just feel like you've got a, a deeper connection to it. And you really, when you make dinner for people with that pesto, you're looking around and you just feel more connected and, um, like you're sharing a deeper experience. So that's great. Okay. Um, how about, so hearing all this information, again, I think it's really, really valuable, uh, especially for looking ahead and deciding where you want to take your healthy lifestyle. You know, maybe you've arrived at deciding what, what types of foods you want to be eating, but think more about where that food comes from, um, and taking that into the consideration of your overall health and well-being. Uh, for, for most there, I think there's a lot of people who, when we hear about all the ways that we can really try to be more homegrown paleo, it can be overwhelming, you know, and there's some people who I talk to who like they're, they're just starting out and they need, um, they really need to know priority wise, which ones are the most important ones to tackle first. Um, and, and the thought of jumping into organics or inorganics and all of that can sometimes be, a it, it can turn them off of a grain-free lifestyle in general. So do you, do you have, I'm going to see if I can articulate this into an actual question. <laughs> um, you know, what advice do you have to people, for people who kind of border on worrying about uh, this being a new level of perfectionism um, and how to kind of take it one step at a time and, um, I don't know, how to, how, to, how to baby step their way into a sustainable uh, lifestyle? If that's a real question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's two sides to that. So there's definitely okay. like heal, your, heal yourself, right? So just get yourself used to eating paleo. Give yourself some time to adjust to, you know, cooking from scratch and all that. Um, so however long that needs to be. So for some people, it's, you know, a month or two. Or for other people, it might be a little bit longer. Um, yeah. But then the other point I would like to make is just that, you know, is eating chicken boneless skinless chicken breast from a cafo chicken factory where the you know chickens were treated horribly and pumped full of antibiotics plus you know steamed broccoli that was you know maybe harvested by migrant workers or you know underage migrant workers you know which which happens a lot in this country Uh um you know is, that's a paleo meal, but is it really a paleo meal? And so, yeah. you know, even though it, it might seem overwhelming, I think it's critical that we look at our food system and feel a little bit of outrage about um, the industrial food system because it's absolutely criminal what's happening. You know, I mean, that's what that's why a lot of people are vegan today. It's It's because... 
they're seeing all these movies, you know, that are um, vilifying the way animals are raised and they're not seeing any alternatives and there are great alternatives. So, you know, just, you know, and I'm not perfect every single day I eat, um, you know, I, I think to strive for, you know, just like people try to do, okay, 80, 20, if they're feeling overwhelmed by paleo, you know, Mm -hmm. 80, 20 is a great goal also for, um, striving to be more sustainable and, you know, looking at some social justice issues within your food system. So, you know, if people are complaining to me that, you know, well, it's just too hard to, you know, eat um, that way, it's it's mm-hmm. too bad. <laughs> I mean, it's not that it's too bad. And yeah, I don't you can to say be, it, yeah. I don't mean to be a jerk about it, but mm-hmm. it's just like, um, you know, when I was uh, – Last summer, I was at the Ancestral Health Symposium, and I did a talk about um, chocolate, bananas, and coffee. Mm-hmm. And just a little bit, uh, I illustrated some of the major issues within those industries and why people should really consider buying fair trade. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so if someone wants to tell me, well, 10 cents a banana more, you know, because it's really, it's literally, it's 10 cents more, right? It's like 59 cents a pound for conventional and um, 59 cents for conventional and like 69 cents or whatever for the organic ones. And if that means no aerial spraying on children's schools, so these kids are developing these these horrific um, deformities from the spraying so that we can save 10 cents. Um, I just, I don't feel that it's appropriate, you know. Absolutely. It doesn't add up. There's a, so. there's a quote I was I was desperately flipping through your book to find it. I knew I read it somewhere. Um, it's by Wendell Berry. Mm-hmm. To be interested in food, but not in food production, is clearly absurd. And that right. really that really resonates. I think it's a very succinct way to put what you're what you're talking about. Yeah. So I mean, I like like I said before, I think that you know when someone's just starting and they're drinking you know a case of Diet Coke a week and they're eating macaroni and cheese and you know all that kind of stuff and take out. Okay, just get let's just get them paleo. Okay, let's yeah. just eat some meat, eat some vegetables. Um, but then really, it's time. It's time in the paleo community to be thinking about some deeper issues, and we are at a great opportunity here to really spearhead some of these issues, um, as a, as a food movement, we've got the, we've got a nice mass here. So. Awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> if I, I feel like I've just joined an army. Absolutely. You've recruited me. Um, <laughs> that's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I have just one last question for you because I'm having a hard time deciding, um, which of these, I think there's over a hundred recipes in your in this book, in addition to this incredible manual slash education in um, in homesteading, but if you had to pick a couple recipes to recommend to try first, I know it's based on where you are in the world and what season you're in. Um, but I'm in, let's say it's uh, we're coming into spring in Texas. Mm-hmm. Do you have any recommendations on what recipes to try first? 
So I did have someone recently try the nettle soup. I think they were in Southern California. They Ooh. they tagged me on Instagram, and I highly recommend you try to find yourself some nettles. So it's a fun activity because you have to find them, right? Ooh. You can't buy them anywhere. They're I'd free. Love to forage. <laughs> yeah, um, they tend to grow near riverbeds in really fertile soil, okay. um, like that really like black soil. Mm. Um, you need to have some gloves on because they do feel a little bit like a bee sting when you touch them with your bare hands. And so okay. you need some good gloves and some scissors. Just bring a little bag with you. Mm-hmm. And you need about one bag full of them to make the soup. And you've just never tasted anything. They don't sting you once you once you cook them. They totally um, will not sting you. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's really great for your adrenals. It's actually like really healing for your adrenals. It's the most incredibly intense color green, um, and it it keeps its color for a really long time. You know that, that color when you freshly steam spinach mm-hmm. and it like it's that bright green and then it turns to that like army green. Yeah. Um it's that bright green for a really long like long enough for you to take some really nice pictures, I Ooh, think. Well, now um, you're really talking to me. I like to take pictures. <laughs> yeah. So so that one is a really great spring one. I've got a lot of really fun spring ones that include foraging like with fiddleheads and things like that. So it really kind of depends on what part of the country. I don't know mm-hmm. if you have even fiddleheads down in San Antonio. I'm just not sure. I haven't seen them. Actually, I saw the fiddlehead ferns in your book and I thought to my, I, I want, Gus and I go on very long walks together through a wooded area and I did keep my eyes out just in case. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and you have to pay attention with those because um, there are other types of ferns which are not edible that mm. are not the fiddle, the ostrich fern. So do you need to pay attention when you're foraging for ferns in particular? But the nettles are hard to miss because there's only one <laughs> you'll know you'll know um, yeah and then a couple of other recipes that anyone could make right now just because these are sort of um seasonless because uh, you know butternut squash keeps for a while so the mm-hmm. the butternut squash stew with pork and spinach is something that you know people could be making right now there's the rosemary potato stacks which are beautiful little sort of potato mm-hmm. thinly sliced potato they're stacked up um, with rosemary, and then the um, I, I've seen quite a few people making the cauliflower with apples, bacon, and balsamic vinegar. Sounds and lovely. That's a really, really good one. Awesome. Okay, I've got my my to do list. I'm definitely going to make the nettle soup if I can find it, and I will tag you. Awesome. <laughs> when I've mission accomplished, I love nettle tea just for those reasons you talked about supporting adrenal health. Um, but that that'd be the next step. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, Diana. I cannot thank you enough. I learned a lot. I hope our readers, um, well, listeners, I'm sure they really (laughs) enjoyed it as well. Um, Remember, everybody, you can find Diana on her blog, sustainabledish.com. And do not forget to pre-order, if you're listening before March 10th, um, or you can just order, uh, her book, The Homegrown Paleo Cookbook. Thanks again, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back again next Monday. Thank you.